Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is the number one GPS app for hunters available. And so I want to talk about a, a feature on there that, that I use quite a bit. And this has to do with when you're hunting mountain bucks and you're planning you know, where you're going to hunt, you have your tree picked out, you're going to go in there and hunt that spot. Access can be one of the biggest things that can make or break your hunt before you even start hunting. And by being able to look at the area online through the Onyx Hunt online and also being able to do it on your phone, you can plan your route by drawing lines through saving it and planning your route to you know keep in mind the thermals, where the deer might be feeding at, keep in mind all those things. And also, if you have a chance to be able to do a dry run of walking to that setup, you know, out of season, turn the tracker on and let it, you know, show you the way. So when it's in the the middle of the night, you don't need flashy night eyes on the tree, nothing like that. You can follow your line by looking at your phone, whether you have cell coverage or not, and be able to find your way into your stand. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, you can head over to onyxmaps.com. And if you use the coupon code EMW, that'll save yourself 20% off of the premium and elite memberships. So Maven Optics. Maven is a company that's building the highest quality optics available at half the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. I have a few different uh, options from Maven personally that I like to use. Um, my elk hunting glass is the Maven B2 series, 9x45. Really love the Abbey Koning prism system in there that allows for extreme performance in low light. And that glass, I, I've been using it now for three or four years, and it's been great with me for all of my Western adventures and will definitely be going with me this coming year to Alaska. So if you want to check out the B-Series binos along with all the other optics that they have, you can head over to mavenbuilt.com. And if you use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT, you get yourself a free gift with any full price optics order. And lastly, the University of Elk Hunting. And so Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together a fully comprehensive elk hunting learning course. And from beginning to end, you can learn everything there is about elk hunting and really help reduce that learning curve. But in addition to getting the course, when you sign up for it, you get a lot of additional benefits than just the the amounts of information. You get discounts from a lot of the partners. You get a discount off the Elk 101 store that has just about all the gear that you would need to go elk hunting. And that alone, by buying you know a couple pieces of gear, you've already paid for your membership just in the discount. So it's really helpful and to be able to have that, those additional benefits. So if you head over to elk101.com, click on the University of Elk Hunting, you sign up and use the coupon code East Meets West. That will save yourself 20% 
off of the online course for the annual membership. So go over and check that out. All right. So on today's podcast, I'm interviewing Andrew Maxwell, and he's from down in Alabama. And this podcast was really interesting to me. I was I was pumped to get to interview Andrew from the side of things. I didn't know of all the opportunities to hunt, you know, big woods, mountain deer in the south. And with the rut being changing in different parts of the state and in some of the surrounding states, you can essentially hunt the rut from you know, November all the way through February and move around. So anybody that wants to, you know, if you're up here and, and after your deer season's done and you have some time to be able to go down there, that would be a really cool opportunity to chase around some old mountain bucks, you know, just a lot further south than, than I, you know, even thought of. So I, I was really excited to be able to interview Andrew today. So I'll be going out late season archery hunting here in Pennsylvania. It opens the day after Christmas here, but uh, I won't be able to get out because of work until Saturday. But um, found some good signs scouting here recently. Um, Got some awesome trail camera photos, some big deer, and found a spot where it looks like they're feeding in the snow, found exactly where they're bedding. And definitely at least one of the beds I found was a buck bed. And they're all going to the same area to feed with a bunch of doe beds up towards the top with the buck bed being down over the hill a little bit. Uh, I I think I have a decent setup for it for an evening hunt. So I'm probably going to give that a shot if if the wind's right for it on Saturday. But going to still get out and do a little more scouting if I can here. Um, Today, Christmas Eve, I'll be... Uh, getting out a little bit uh, before some family you know time there so I'm going to get out and see what I can do to find the food source I mean hunting late season is not something I've done a whole lot of and won't even pretend to know uh, you know a lot about but I, I do know that they need to eat and cold weather makes them get up a little bit earlier to eat so trying to figure out you know what the hot food source is now and be able to capitalize on that you know, some bucks have been shedding their antlers already. I've got photos of probably three, maybe four of them uh, that have already at least shed one side. So that's pretty crazy. I mean, it happens every year that you get some that'll shed in December and some that'll hold on all the way till April. And um, But hoping to catch one that does have both sides on. So in addition to that, I'm actually going to be going to Ohio in the middle of January to hunt. Uh, a late season hunt. I, I got an opportunity here last week. So Chris Derrick from Sick of Gear that he came out and hunted here with me in November. If you listen to those podcasts, that uh, he wants to do some more field testing on some gear, and so it looks like I'm heading to Ohio in uh, yeah, like I said, the middle of January. I'm going to go to the ATA show and then drive straight from there to Ohio and with work schedule I can only hunt like two days it's not a whole lot wish I could spend the whole week there but I'll I'll take what I can get and so this one will be with an outfitter in eastern Ohio and Latitudes Outfitting Company and so I'll be going there to it's all my second experience with hunting with an outfitter but um 
hopefully we get some cold weather and uh you know the bucks are moving there that that's uh so i'm really excited to be able to get to do that one get to test more gear and you know do something a little different than my normal you know big woods hunting that that i typically do so i'm really looking forward to that that trip coming up and um yeah so other than that i don't really have any other news here but uh, I did want to wish everyone a uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope everyone gets to spend time with their families. And if you're going to be going out late season, whether that's in Pennsylvania or somewhere else, good luck to you. And if you figure out a you know hot tip of what to, what to do in the the big woods in the late season, you know, send it my way. I could use use some luck there. But anyways. Like I said, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and enjoy this podcast with Andrew Maxwell. All right, we're live. Welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast, and I'm joined on the line tonight by Andrew Maxwell, who is currently driving in his truck, um, and hopefully you can't hear any background noise, but I think we're going to be all right. So how you doing tonight, Andrew? I'm doing pretty good, and uh, as of right now, you definitely won't hear any background noise because I'm in bumper-to-bumper traffic. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It it happens every time I try to drive from Auburn to Birmingham. Every time. Oh, man. So, Andrew, uh, where where exactly do you live at? Do you 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 said you sounds like you're from Alabama? Yeah, so I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. That's where I grew up. Uh, I recently moved to Auburn, Alabama, which is kind of, I'd say, like east central part of the state. I'm really close to the Georgia border, actually. So I actually do a little bit of hunting in Georgia, too. Um, But as far as my hunting goes, I grew up hunting just south of Birmingham, uh, public and private land. And then just here in the last six years, I've transitioned to pretty much 100% public land and Man, I've I've hunted Alabama pretty much top to bottom, side to side as far as public land goes. Oh, that's awesome. And uh so how I got how I got to find you was I was on Facebook the other day and I was on a I think it was a, a Facebook group Mountain Buck Hunters of Virginia might be. And somehow I saw a link to your um one of your guys's posts which your facebook page and your podcast and everything is the, the southern outdoorsman is that correct yeah that's correct and um so i found it and i'm like i looked at it and i saw you your name and the other gentleman's name which i, I apologize i'm not uh coming to my head right now if you wouldn't mind filling in the gap there <laughs> uh, that's uh that's mr none other than mr jacob myers but we call him the ginger bow hunter <laughs> well <laughs> i saw you and uh the, the mr ginger bow hunter and uh i'm like those guys <laughs> names look familiar and i clicked on it and i'm like wow we're, we're friends on facebook and i knew I'd, I'd seen some of your stuff before but ne- didn't i've never saw your podcast so i started checking it out and and saw there was a lot of similar topics and you know you know, big wood style, whitetail hunting, things like that. And, but in Alabama, and it just it was really intriguing. So I was sitting here actually working on, and I was writing an article 
which I was, and I started listening to your guys' podcast on the side, which isn't really good when you're trying to think to write an article and also try to take in information. Oh, yeah. But I, I did it nonetheless, <laughs> and I really enjoyed it and liked you know hearing about it. So this was just like last week, and I reached out to you, and here you are coming on the podcast a couple days before your wedding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, I'm I'm getting married this Saturday, which uh, which uh, I'm pretty excited about. Then we're going out to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, for our honeymoon. So I'm pretty pretty pumped about that. Get to go out out west, man. Dang. That's gonna be fun. Yeah. How'd you uh, convince her to be able to do that? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. So. Andrew, if you would, I uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, the Southern Outdoorsman, your, your podcast there and everything else and kind of what your purpose is with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for asking, man. Um, we started, so originally it started out, I, I really wanted to like just, all, all I like to do is hunt, man. That's, that's all I've ever been interested in. I've, I've never been like a partier. I've never been like super into sports or anything. I mean, I've always just been kind of one track minded, just hunting, fishing, trapping, that kind of stuff. Uh, and about 2017, I was really trying to get more into writing and I got like a small piece for Alabama outdoor news magazine, but I couldn't, uh, I wasn't getting any more deals anywhere for articles. And so I was like, well, I just want to write anyways. So, I basically was like, okay, I'll just get my own website and just publish my stuff on there like a blog just so I can do it and maybe build a portfolio, but really just because I enjoy doing it. Uh, so I, I got the Southern Outdoorsman website going and uh, Jacob, my the, the co-host on the podcast, me and him were talking and, you know, 2017, you know, podcasts were really starting to take off. And we always felt like the South was like very overlooked um because you know typically a lot of your deer hunting content is midwest geared uh and western geared there's not that much stuff for the southeast especially for public land in the southeast so we're like well why don't we just do it so that's kind of how it got started and we started in february of 2018 i guess um started out uh did a turkey season did deer season and and just it's been fun man it's been a, a ride we we're by no means the greatest deer hunters in the world. So we definitely seek out advice from people who are a lot better at killing deer than we are and killing turkeys than we are. So uh, week to week, you know, we, we try to publish stuff that's timely based on the time of year, you know, what people are going to be doing in the woods. And, and we try to find guys who really get it done on public land, doing hard hunting, uh, who have, who have success on a consistent basis. And, and we've ranged from, the swamps of Southern Alabama and Southern Georgia up to the, the mountains of Virginia and pretty much everywhere in between. Uh, and it, it's, it's been fun, man. I've learned a lot and, uh, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it and we're, we're still just getting started. That's awesome. And so you started yours right around the same time that I started mine. Mine was probably about four or five months after you, but similar, similar story with, you know, I, I, I was tired of, not tired of, but all I saw was, you know, Midwest content as far as whitetails and farm country. And, and that wasn't what I was hunting. And I knew that there was a, a whole lot more people that, you know, were doing similar stuff as far as the whitetail side of things. And, and, you know, once I started covering it, I mean, I, 
I learned so much from talking to other people and it's the same thing that I, you know, say with it is like, I'm not a great deer hunter by any means, but I get better every time I get to talk to, talk to other people through this platform and hopefully other people learn from it as well. Yeah. Amen, dude. I totally, totally relate to that. Uh, it's, it's really a cool thing to be able to do just to, just to like get to know so many guys who are just such good woodsmen. Uh, it's it's really cool to just associate yourself with those guys and and pick up what they have to put down. I mean it's uh, it's a huge help for me in the deer woods if I take their advice. Usually I like get lazy and screw myself over, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm a I'm a little bit of a slow learner myself, and I might I might be able to give people advice on things, but for myself taking it, sometimes that doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah 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 me me and jacob joke about that all the time because we do this thing on our facebook page where uh, it's like listener success stories uh so like we'll have our listeners uh write in and tell us about their success stories and send us pictures and we'll share them uh, usually like one a day on our facebook page and we were joking about it the other day i'm like dude we've done like so many listener success stories and i'm like well where's my book <laughs> <laughs> everyone's Everyone listening killing one, but I'm not. And then I finally got one on Sunday. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So how did how did that hunt go on Sunday? Uh, so they, it's it's my home piece. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's a public parcel around Birmingham that I've pretty much grown up hunting. And it pretty much hands my butt to me on a silver platter every year. I mean, I've, I've, had, some, I've had a few cracks and some really nice bucks out there, but it's always just been a total struggle. And uh, the rut's just getting started there, and uh, it's pretty steep, rugged country. I wouldn't say it's like big mountains or anything, but, I mean, it's definitely very rugged, rocky, very steep country. And uh, I got on Caltopo. I went in blind to this area, and I got on Caltopo, which is an online mapping service uh, where you can basically, like, create your own map. So for this map, I, like, I got a satellite image, and you can put, you know, topo lines over top of that satellite image, and you can change the uh, contour interval. So I put it on 10 foot so you get more detail because a lot of stuff out there is like 20 foot topo lines. So I put it on 10 foot so you can see more subtle features. And then it also has this thing called uh, slope angle shading. And you turn that on and it basically shades everything uh, from like white to green to red for how steep it is. So if it's white, it's not steep at all. If it's green, it's really steep. If it's red, it's probably a bluff. So I'm, I'm looking at the satellite image and uh, there's a cutover on top of this hill and this cutover is like seven years old and down here in Alabama, it, everything grows pretty fast. So the seven-year-old cutover, it's got pretty decent sized pines growing back in it and it's got just nasty honeysuckle briars growing on briars and just all kinds of thickness going on in there. Uh, so we figured it'd be pretty good bedding. And, uh, I noticed on the topo lines and everything that they stack up pretty tight right there. And on Cal Topo on the slope angle shading, there's a bunch of red on the hillside that fell off from that cutover, but there's a gap in the red. So like three quarters of the way up, there's like a, a slight gap, which told me there's probably a bench there or it, or it, at least it's like a subtle, uh, a subtle easement of like the terrain that they might want to walk rather than, you know, walking on a super steep angle. So, I mean, literally, I just shot right up in there, going in blind, was getting in kind of late, uh, got up to the edge of this cutover and saw how thick it was and got not on the bench 
you know, down in the, down in the bottoms, we have hardwoods down here. It's called a streamside management zone. And, uh, where the hardwoods are is basically the valley. And then at the, t- where the top of the valley flattens out, uh, you have pines cause that's what they can cut. They can't cut down into the, uh, into the drainages. So right there on that transition, right on that military crest, uh, there's like this bench and the bench kind of was in the hardwoods, open hardwoods, and it wrapped around and ran into a draw, like a very slight draw that didn't show up on the map that went up into that thick stuff. And there's two just beat down trails coming out of there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to walk over there. So I walk over there and there's like an old scrape and there's like one fresh track, but it was so thick. It just looked so good. I was like, I'm going to try this. And uh, long story short, I set up and 30 minutes later, here he came and I nailed him at 20 yards and he, he died 50 yards from me in sight. And then 20 minutes later, another one came through. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that was pretty cool, man. Uh, uh, I've never had a hunt quite like that before. It's just so fast seeing two bucks doing the same thing, 20 minutes apart. And then, uh, and then I packed him out and it was brutal, <laughs> but it was, it was so <laughs> worth it. So, uh, I, so where, where did the box come from? Do they come out of the bottom or out of that cutover? Man, they came out of that cutover. So uh, we could really dig into this, but we, we walk a lot of these bottoms, these hardwood bottoms, and they're just wide open, a lot of them. And there are acorns down there, but for this area, I mean, the deer just really aren't eating them that much. Uh, <clears throat> our gun season opened up on the 21st and so on these wmas you can only gun hunt on certain weekends but so we've had five days of muzzleloader and like two or three weekends of rifle hunting going on out there so these deer have really gotten hammered lately Mm -hmm. and i think when the pressure gets on and they go up into those just thick nasty little sanctuaries and there's just so much green browse in there you got honeysuckle yellow jasmine Greenbrier, all these different green things that they can eat this time of year, uh, and they just live in it, man. That's why they're so hard to kill. Um, yeah, our, our theory on it lately has been like, yeah, they'll come down in the hardwoods. They'll they'll run through those drainages, traveling from point A to point B. They might stop and eat some acorns, work a scrape. But the amount of time that they spend in the hardwoods versus what they're spending in these really nasty thick cutovers is extremely disproportionate. I mean, they are living in those cutovers big time. Uh, actually, my one of my buddies who hunts out there with me, he just killed a buck in one of those this afternoon, uh, just like maybe a quarter mile from where I killed mine on Sunday. Really? Man, and what, what's so uh, interesting about that is that's that's very similar to you know where I'm at in Pennsylvania. You know, especially with all the hunting pressure, as it, you guys get the, you know, the similar type hunting pressure, but they love that thick stuff and logging cuts that you find that are, you know, grown up a little bit and just thick, nasty, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, that they won't go in there, but I'm telling you what, they live in some of the nastiest places to, <laughs> to get away from, you know, pressure. Mm-hmm. And so was, it was in the morning that he was coming out of there? Oh, uh, no, this is actually an evening hunt. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, actually another interesting thing about that he was cruising, he, he was looking for does, um, I'm pretty sure, him and that other buck both, and you, you always hear about him cruising the edge of, like, a thicket, uh, mm-hmm. like, wind checking it. Uh, he was, he, he was kind of on the edge, he was actually about 10 yards in the thick stuff, uh, cruising it, and 
man, like I said, I could just go down a bunch of rabbit holes here, but out, out here, I'm sure it's probably the same where you are. Man, our wind just swirls so bad. <laughs> yeah. These all these draws in the hills. I mean, it's just not consistent. And I was telling Jacob the other day, I'm like, dude, I don't think they can swing downwind of a bedding area and like wind check the whole thing. I just don't think they could do it. And several times over the last couple of years, they we've seen bucks do this thing where you know they'll be like a bedding point on a ridge uh, that has some thick cover on it, and a buck will go and he just like runs through there like he's trying to kick up a rabbit but he's trying to kick up a doe is what we're assuming mm-hmm. uh so that's been kind of our strategy a little bit uh it's just setting up on these you know on or very close to these bedding features like a like a ridge point mm-hmm. and getting somewhere where we could hopefully see into that thick cover to, to see a buck uh just because another thing is you know they'll they'll swing around and, and they'll cut trails and they'll, they'll check those doe trails and everything going into these thickets. A lot of these edges around here are just so messy. And it, it, there's we have so much cover down here that there's just not very many defined areas where does are coming in and out of, of these cutovers. I mean, it's pretty much uh, like a free-for-all. I mean, yeah. they, can, they can go in anywhere. They can bed anywhere. They can come out anywhere. So that, that's kind of we're trying to draw a pattern to it. And the best thing we've come up with is, is this thing like, so that they are concentrating on bedding features within that giant cutover. So if you have a 300 acre cutover, we think that these deer don't necessarily bed all throughout the cutover, but there's certain features in there where you're going to find, you know, a concentration of beds. And we think that the, uh, you know, they live out there. So we think the bucks know exactly where those are and they just kind of make their rounds checking them out. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and what you said about like the, the wind swirling, I mean, that's, that makes total sense. Like, you know, we, we have in the, the hill country, the, the, the Appalachian mountains where we're at here, we have, you know, thermals definitely play a role, but that thermals are more consistent in areas that have longer ridges, maybe less, but you get in some of those spots that have a whole bunch of draws and fingers and stuff coming off it. Getting a consistent wind is just about, impossible i mean i tried hunting this one bedding yeah. this bedding point this year in archery season and and i i i left a camera out there from i set it up in april and had no idea what was in there i found it in the spring just set it up and left it sit on a scrape out on this point and i found some beds on the edges some some hemlock and pine trees and and i i came back and it was like november 3rd so just as our ruts like you know kicking off here and had all of these nice bucks, I mean, in velvet photos, just laying down in this little opening on the edge of the the pines there, and it's real thick and some some rock bluffs, you know, around there. And I and I've been getting really aggressive at hunting, like right in the the beds. And I had the day before I checked that camera. So in, in Pennsylvania on Sundays we can't hunt. So I was in there on a Sunday just scouting it. And on Saturday, the day before, there was this big old 10 point there with some kickers. And I went in to hunt it that Monday. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go right out on the edge of this point. And there was a couple, like, really small draws. Like like you said, they don't even show up on a map. Like, they're just, that they come up out of there. And I could tell how they thought that area was safe to them because all day, I mean, that wind swirled. And I, I chanced it. <laughs> I, I mean, the wind's never really consistent, so I don't, I mean, I play, I do play the wind, but it's, 
if it does swirl on me, I'm not going to get down and move because it's going to swirl somewhere else. And, but I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I could tell why they were using that area, but that makes a lot of sense as far as like, you know, they, they will cruise the, uh, at least up here, the, the downwind side of some of that cover. But like you said, when you get those areas that it, when the wind's swirling like that, they'll just go barreling through that thick stuff. That's, that's super interesting. Yeah. One pretty cool story that, uh, that Jacob had from last year, it was right around Thanksgiving, which is, I mean, just the beginning of the rut for my specific area or the, at least the area I killed this buck in, uh, on Sunday is last year, right at Thanksgiving. Uh, and there was this, there's a younger buck comes through this pine thicket where Jacob's hunting and it's real thick. He can see beds from the tree stand and, uh, it's like a real calm, very still day. And he's kind of on this flat ridge so thermals aren't really doing much uh and this little buck comes through there through the thicket and he's like dead silent coming in and jacob sees him and this deer like was putting his he'd put his foot on like a stick and like crack it it'd be like real loud and then he'd like check up and he'd lift his head and look around real quick and then he'd walk and then he'd like jump on something and make a bunch of noise and we're like dude that deer is like trying to jump a doe like he's straight up trying to get one to move we can go over there and check her out, see if she's hot. At least that's what we think. You yeah. Know, we can't interview the deer, but I think that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And and that's that's cool that, you know, that's not something that you hear anybody talk about as far as, like, you don't read that in an article as far as strategies or what deer are doing. That's just, you know, being a, a woodsman and kind of picking up on that stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's... uh. I feel like every year we have like little instances like that that just kind of clue us off to that kind of stuff because I mean, we're very much flying by the seat of our pants all the time just trying to figure stuff out because uh, we kind of bounce around a lot. And I mean, that it seems to be like, it seems to me that like there might be some kind of pattern there. I mean, obviously we're going to have to still keep hunting and, and keep observing to try and figure out if there's something to it, but I don't know. It's it's our it's our little theory we're developing right now. Yeah, that's cool. And so you were saying that you know in the area that that you're in the the peak rut is you know just kind of coming in here, and we're recording this in the middle of December here, and or I guess the beginning to the middle of December. I've always heard about like some place in the south with the rut kind of you know being at different times of the year. So can you kind of explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, Alabama is kind of the, well, let me take that. Let me, let me back up. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi and Southern Tennessee, we all have kind of funky ruts compared to the rest of the country. Uh, Florida has a really weird rut where you go down to the Everglades and I think you can be chasing rutting bucks in July which sounds miserable, but fun, secondary fun. Yeah. Uh, and then in Alabama, just specifically, uh, we have, so our earliest ruts are kind of like a Midwestern rut, like kind of early November. And, uh, and then after that, most of your ruts, th- there might be a few areas that come in uh, late November. And then my area, we're in right now. I mean, they're chasing, they're doing their thing right now. Uh, peak breeding is about like December 20th or so uh, in that area and then for the vast majority of the state 
the rut is going to be in mid to late January or early February, uh, speaking of Alabama here. Um, the Alabama Department of, uh, let's see, the, uh, the DCNR on their website, they have a really good map they just put out on when the rut times are in the state of Alabama, and it's, it's a nice color-coded map. You can kind of see where the different ruts are, but for the most part, Bama ruts kind of mid to late January, and then in some pockets, and most of South Alabama, you're going to be looking at like a February rut, and really our season goes out before the rut's over in some places, uh, and we go to February 10th. Hmm, that's that's so interesting. So you can you can kind of bounce around and chase the rut if you wanted to, as far as just all the way from November through February, essentially. Yeah, yeah, uh, and we kind of do that a little bit. I was hunting um, southeast Alabama uh, in a spot where they, they got a November rut. I hunted that early November and had a bunch of nice buck encounters and just could not make it come together. And then uh, now I've migrated up to kind of my home place where we got this rut going on right now. And then after the new year, I'm going to go back down to kind of get into south Alabama, but it's kind of east central Alabama to another parcel where we're in mid-January rut. And if I'm not either tagged out or burned out by then, then uh, I got a place where I got a pretty good February rut I can get in on. Wow. So do you do you have more than one buck tag, I'm assuming, in Alabama? Oh, yeah, we get three. Really? Oh, yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> I, I definitely enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's awesome that you're able to do that and and kind of chase them at you know different parts of the state and because I mean I don't know about you but my favorite time to hunt and I'm sure most whitetail hunters you know is the rut and being able to kind of you know you know here it seems like you know you have that like a two week window kind of and then you wait all year for it and it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, we definitely get to enjoy it. Uh, one guy in particular I'll bring up, we we interviewed uh, this guy on our podcast. His name was Glenn Solomon. Uh, we interviewed him back a couple months ago, uh, late summer. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away about a month after we interviewed him. But, man, Glenn was a – I mean, he was a true woodsman in every sense of the word. I mean, that guy knew everything about every critter in the woods. And uh, he was a – he was an – excellent deer hunter and uh in georgia they have you know a weird rut kind of like alabama does and you can hunt the rut in georgia just like you can in alabama uh and georgia has this thing they have uh quota hunts check-in hunts on a lot of their wmas and if you go to one of those quota hunts you get a special buck tag that doesn't count against your state limit so in georgia you get two bucks on your state tag but then you can also go to these bonus buck wmas last year Glenn Solomon basically ran the gamut of a bunch of different WMAs in Georgia where the rut was coming in, and he killed five bucks all on public land in the state of Georgia last year, which is just crazy. But that just goes to show, like the kind of the kind of opportunities there are down here. Yeah. So, I, I guess explain a little bit more about some of those you know opportunities. And you said that you you know primarily hunt public land now, and it sounds like some of the people that you've interviewed hunt public land. Is is there a lot of opportunities for that? You know, from whether you're in state or you're an out of state hunter. Yeah, man. There's a there's a lot of really really tremendous opportunities. Uh, I personally have hunted public land in 
Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia. And all three of them, man, just like really exceptional properties. And I think I mentioned earlier, I grew up hunting. I grew up hunting public, but we also had private land that we could hunt here and there. Um, when I was young, my dad got us into a club trying to get me my first deer. And so we were in this uh, pretty nice hunting club. And uh, after a couple years of that, you know, I got back into the public land hunting and everything. And I began to realize that, especially in early bow season, the public land that I was hunting, you know, just around my house and around the state, it gets a fraction of the pressure of some of those hunting clubs that I've been in when I was younger. I mean, those hunting clubs, you got guys who are paying $1,200, two grand to join this lease with a bunch of other guys, and they're wanting to get their money's worth, you know, and, and they're managing the property and, and they're hunting it a lot. Uh, where on public, you know, if you have a, say, 35,000 acre track down here in bow season, I mean, I don't think, you know, I've hunted Alabama public land for six years. And during bow season, I've had exactly zero people walk up on me in six years. Uh, now, gun hunt can get a, get a little wonky. It can get kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> like I said, there's uh, specific weekends that you can gun hunt. And, uh, man, the Orange Army comes out. But I, I love it. You got to you gotta learn to love that kind of stuff, man. Like, yeah. Everyone's coming out gun hunting. You go to the check station to get your permit. You know, you're seeing everyone there. Everyone's talking and freaking throwing gravel out of the parking lot, trying to beat everyone to their spot. It's, it's just a blast, man. Uh, and there, there's WMAs all over the state of Alabama. They're all really exceptional WMAs. I mean, really, uh, I mean, you can kill a good buck on any WMA in Alabama for sure. Uh, same with Georgia, I think. I haven't hunted all over Georgia, but the WMAs I've hunted in Georgia are very nice. Uh, they're very, very well kept in Georgia. And then Tennessee, man, Tennessee blew my socks off when I went to Tennessee. I mean, coming from Alabama, never hunted like any kind of agriculture or anything, but there's some killer agricultural opportunities uh, that are public land in Tennessee to hunt. Uh, and so, I mean, dude, there's a wide range of stuff, whether you want to hunt like some dark, deep alligator filled swamp. Or you want to hunt the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, or you want to hunt some uh, soybean fields on a riverside. I mean, we, we kind of got it all down here. Oh, that's that's sweet. And and like I said, it's it's something that I, I guess I said this before we we were recording, but it's just things that I you know I wasn't my eyes weren't open to those opportunities in the South, and and you know kind of some of the reason that you started the podcast is it's not publicized or talk talked about at all. And when I thought about Alabama deer hunting i had a a work colleague of mine that lived in auburn and he said you know basically that you know that everyone just hunted hunt clubs and that's just kind of what i assumed you know most of the the state and everything was and uh, that's obviously not the not the the case here yeah man there's a rich public land culture down here uh it's kind of like if you know you know kind of thing um like, if you grew up in hunting clubs, you probably don't know about it, uh, and vice versa. If you grew up hunting public, you probably don't know much about hunting clubs. But, yeah, dude, the public land culture down here, uh, I mean, some of my best friendships have been made uh, by guys I literally just bumped into while I was hunting public land out here. In fact, uh, I met Jacob, the co-host of Southern Outdoors and Podcast. Uh, <laughs> we're in an Alabama deer hunting Facebook group, and he posted a picture of this buck he had on trail camera and dude i'm like i'm a nerd 
when it comes to plants and everything. So I like know what all these different kinds of trees are. And there's a real specific kind of tree that was in the background of that uh, image with this buck in it. I was like, that joker's on so-and-so, like the place I like to hunt. So I messaged him like, hey, man, is that buck on so-and-so? He's like, yeah. And we ended up meeting up and talking for like four and a half hours on hunting out there and like our strategies. And, uh, dude, I mean, he's become one of my best friends, host a podcast with him, traveled out to Wyoming and shot some mule deer with him. And yeah, I mean, it's not, some of my best friendships have been made by just people I met on public. And I mean, every year I, I meet new people who are just great folks. I mean, I can count on one hand the amount of negative experiences I've had on public land and I hunt a lot. That's awesome. So as far as like the, the, you know, age of the deer and everything there, do you, do you get many mature bucks and like, you know, what's that kind of look like the age structure? It, it, it very much depends on where you go. So there, there's a lot of different kinds of properties that you can hunt down here. Uh, notably it's like national forest, uh, wildlife management area, uh, wildlife refuge, just to, just to name a few, you, you'll probably got similar stuff where you're from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it, it definitely has to do with the kind of restrictions on the parcel. For instance, uh, the parcel that, like I said, I grew up hunting, my home parcel. Um, we've always had good luck with mature bucks out there. I mean, we, we see, growing up, we usually get like one opportunity a year, or at least one sighting a year. Uh, and then four or five years ago, they put antler restrictions on. And I'm not a fan of antler restrictions, but I will say, that man they put those antler restrictions on and we whined and moaned and we're so mad about it and then like three or four years later we're like man there's a lot more bucks out here <laughs> so, uh, so it, it made a it made a noticeable difference i'll i'll admit uh but but yeah i mean it's it, like i said it depends on the property it's hard to say uh, as a rule of thumb i would like if i were coming to the south to try and kill a mature buck in our rut down here i would tell somebody to uh, first of all look for a place that's not open to gun hunting for the entire gun season because in alabama you can gun hunt from november 21st to february 10th uh, so look for a place that's not open the whole season maybe it's like weekend hunts like wmas do or it's like every other weekend or every third weekend or something uh maybe antler point restrictions if that's your thing and uh also a place with a lot of thick cover so i would look for a place where there's been a lot of logging activity or something like that uh and typically where you get those thicker areas you're just going to have more mature bucks and if you can find a place that you can couple thickness with like some kind of harsh terrain feature like like mountains or swamps or something either one of those two uh you're going to definitely find a lot more mature bucks in areas like that where it's just harder for people to get at them Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I guess, um, the, again, this is my negligence of not knowing, you know, the area, but what, what can you expect as far as, you know, antler size in, in some of these areas that you're describing? So some of these, say some of the better places that you're looking at with the restricted gun seasons, antler restrictions, things like that. Uh, man, I would say it's, it's tough to say, like, if you're talking like an average buck, like an average, like, four-and-a-half-year-old buck, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that you're probably looking at, you know, Pope and Young, under 25, but, you know, that varies greatly. Um, I mean, for instance, 
like uh, we have a place in Alabama, which I'll, I'll say the name because it's like a hundred thousand acres, uh, Bankhead National Forest. Everybody knows about it, and Bankhead is like super low deer density, but it's produced like it produces like a one fifty plus every year, or multiple one fifty plus every year. Mm-hmm. Now you got to like work for them, but that's just an example. It's not the average, but every year, man, on a lot of WMAs that there's like a big buck killed or several big bucks killed yeah and just on my home parcel there's been this year there's been four just tankers killed off that place uh so i, I mean obviously that's not gonna be the average but they're definitely out there to be had yeah just depending on your area i mean what i'll tell you another thing one thing i've learned especially since i've started traveling around alabama and especially after i moved to auburn started hunting the public land near Auburn. I just thought it was garbage, man. I was like, there, there's no good deer on this place. It's so roaded up. There, there's so much pressure on it. Uh, I, I don't think there's any big bucks. And then this guy kills a 142-inch buck out there in like the first two weeks of January. And now that guy's he's pretty – he's one of my good friends. His name's Jeff Homan. We've actually interviewed him before on the podcast. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that just really went to show me that even on like the crappiest place, man, that I thought was just terrible. Yeah. There's just, there's just like a giant lurking out there somewhere. You just gotta be able to go into the thicket and get them. Yeah. That that's cool. And, and I wondered, so, um, to give you a little bit of a, you know, background in Pennsylvania, um, I I'd say very on track with what you just said, like the average, you know, mature four and a half year old deer, you're looking at an eight point, about 125 inches. That's what you're looking at. But we have those, you know, those outliers. I've seen some mature deer that are 110 inches. And then I've seen some mature deer that are 170 plus. And it's, it's just, it depends on the area and, and genetics and food and everything there. But that's uh that's pretty awesome for you know a piece of public land in the south and the the potential to be able to hunt them you know for any of the the guys and girls you know in the northeast or midwest or whatever that might be you know once you think your season's done you could you know still have opportunities by heading down south and you know kind of finding adventure in a little bit of a different area yeah yeah totally man i think the south is I mean, obviously, we're never going to be like Iowa or Kansas or anything like that, but there's some awesome opportunities to be had down here, and I honestly think it's pretty underrated. Uh, I don't think it gets covered enough in the in the world of deer hunting. I don't, I don't think the South gets the credit it deserves, and I, I just, man, I hate the negative stigma around public land because, uh, dude, the, the public lands down here, are, like, they have just, like, enriched my life so much with all the hunts I've been able to do, and all the good times I've had on them. And it just, man, it just burns me up when I see people like, Oh, it's dangerous to hunt out there. Oh, it's all, there's no big deer out there or or just, or whatever, anything like that. I mean, it's just such a great opportunity. And especially for even someone just getting into hunting, man, there, there's such great opportunities out here that it's realistic for someone just getting into hunting to go out there. And if they really put in the time and effort and stick with it, they're going to have it pay off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I just, I love it, man. Love every bit of it. Yeah. And like, I don't know, I don't know if it's this way for you, but for, and it sounds like it, but for me, I, uh, I, I mean, I love big deer. I love big bucks. That's awesome. But I find myself looking for cool places and opportunities and stuff rather than, you know, chasing those, 
you know, just, you know, ridiculously big deer and, and some of the more popular places, you know, I think it's, I, I love seeing it when people are in, you know, Virginia, Tennessee, um, you know, West Virginia, New York, down into Alabama, all those different places that, you know, people are hunting and, and, you know, throughout the Appalachian range and, you know, beyond a little bit, it's, it's pretty cool to, to see those opportunities that are available. If, if I, uh, do you happen to know off the top of your mind, how much, you know, an out-of-state tag is? Uh, I know for Georgia, it's going to be about 330 bucks, uh, out the door. Pretty sure that's what I paid the last two years for that tag. I think Alabama is about the same price. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I actually, I think Tennessee is about that same price too. I mean, we're all kind of in that 300 ish dollar range, uh, for an annual license. And then each state has their own variation of like a, a several day license that you can get instead. If you're just going to be hunting for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's, that's, uh, that's actually more expensive than I thought. Um, you know, and I, I know like when I go to Ohio and stuff, it's about $150 to get an out of state license. But, uh, but you also are getting multiple buck tags and everything else. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. We got a, a lot of critters to chase down here. You got buck tags. We also get five turkeys in Alabama. So that's pretty cool. Dang. Yeah, you uh, definitely stay busy. I don't know how much longer that's going to be around. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. Uh, I did hear you say back when you were talking about your your buck you shot on Sunday, you know, you packed it out. Is that something you typically do as far as quartering up the deer and taking it out on your back? That is something that we have started doing in the last two years. Uh, Mainly it started because we went to Wyoming, me and Jacob did in 2017, uh, and we both killed mule deer and we packed them out and we're like, my goodness, this is like so much easier than dragon because we've always just dragged our deer like everyone else does. And man, we started doing that in Alabama and I can't tell you how many people have laughed at us and like, oh, that's so dumb. Why would you, that'd be so much harder. I'm like, man, if you only knew, yeah, <laughs> it's so much easier than dragon, especially in the hills, man. Dragon, just a dead buck up a hill. I killed a buck last year. Um, and he ran down into this just giant valley and died at the bottom of it. And this was before I had like a nice frame pack. And I was like, oh boy. And I drug him out of there and I got to the top of that hill. I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it took me, um, it took me a little over a year, but I saved up and I got a Kafaru pack and I love that thing, dude. It was, it was worth every penny that I spent on it. And there was quite a few pennies on that pack. Yeah. I, I own a Kafaru myself and it took me uh, a while to, to buy one. And man, is that awesome for doing that? And I, you know, I started packing out deer, um, a few years ago, I guess. And same thing. I always drug them and then we'd hunt places in Southern Ohio that was super steep and we'd make like makeshift like poles and carry them over our shoulders and all this crazy things <laughs> until I started hunting out West and started looking up the gutless method on YouTube and how to do it. And I did it on a buck and I was like, this is the nicest thing. And like, unless I have like a couple hundred yard drag, which is very rare, then I'm, I'm going to take care of them in the field. Plus you don't have to get home and then deal with it again. You know, you drag it out, do all this and you got to hang it and skin it where once you get out of the woods, you have all your meat there and it's ready to process. Yeah, I, man, I love it. I very much prefer processing them. I mean, even like this buck I shot Sunday, uh, 
I took him and I, I gutted him out there in the field and then I, uh, I cut I cut a limb down and I ran a limb through his back legs like you would if you were hanging him up and I hung him up in a tree. I was able to lift him up and hang him on this like broken limb at about eye level. And, and so I hung him up, um, took my time with him, just like really boned out all the meat. Uh, I took the cape and the skull. I'm going to euro mount them and tan the hide. Um, and it was like, it was so easy because I, I got out and then I go home, throw it all in a cooler, some ice on it. And then the next day, take it out and back seal it basically. I mean, it was like very little work needed to be done at home, mm-hmm. uh, which is super nice. Cause I mean, I like, I like processing my own deer and everything. Like I enjoy it, but also, you know, don't necessarily like it when it takes up like six hours of my day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's, you know, still hunting season. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I can just, you know, I've already killed the deer and I'm already out there with it. My hunt's over, so might as well do the majority of the work then. Yeah. And and that's always kind of an enjoyable part of it too, is just kinda relaxing, taking your time, cutting it up in the field, you know, packing it out, doing that that whole method and, and I, I just I I got the same type of you know, responses from people. I think I posted a picture on Facebook and I had the, the meat in my pack and the, the head on the back of it. And first thing I got was you're going to get killed doing that, you know, in public land, someone's going <laughs> to shoot you and the whole bit, and, which I did after, you know, I had the, the picture taken, I did wrap orange around it cause it was gun season. So <laughs> I, I did take some precautions there, <laughs> and, but at the same time, it's like, it was like completely unheard of and like where we live is pretty steep country and pretty you know rugged and everything there and i i just i i drug a buck a couple years ago in 2017 a drug went out just because the body was so big i wanted to show everybody at camp and i could not move for like two days it i was so sore and i couldn't get it my truck i had i had a truck at a time that had uh had a lift kit on it and stuff, which was super dumb for trying to get a deer in the back of it. And I, I just kept trying to get it up and it'd land right back on top of me. It's like spread Eagle, <laughs> like just in the body cavity, <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole bit. Yeah. Oh, it sucks. And I, you know, then I'm trying to take ratchet straps and pull it up in and do all these, this stuff. And I'm like, I'm done. Like I, I got in my truck and I'm covered in blood from head to toe. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> oh, dude, been there, done that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been there, dude. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's hilarious. Cool. Have you, um, besides, you know, hunting in the south, it sounded like you hunted, you know, mule deer out west, but have you done any other type of trips before, you know, outside of kind of your, your home range there? Uh, so we went and did that mule deer hunt which is just like one of the most incredible experiences of my life. Like Northeast or Northwest Wyoming, grizzly country. Like, dude, it was just, it was crazy. Um, and then uh, last year we went, or actually this past May, uh, last turkey season I meant, uh, we went up to Oklahoma and turkey hunted, which is great. I mean, I just, like you talked about earlier, I love going out to just different parts of the country when I can and, and just like experiencing a different landscape. So we went out there and hunted Rio's. That was a lot of fun. I'm a big turkey hunter. I really love to turkey hunt. Uh, other than that, I haven't been able to make it back out there for another trip, but that's hopefully about to change because uh, for my birthday, my sweet fiance, who is going to be my wife on Saturday, uh, she got me, she funded an elk tag for me. 
So I got the money for an elk tag. I just got to get the off time to be able to go do it. Uh, so we're trying, I think we're going to be able to do it this, um, this coming in, in the 2020 season. So we're looking at maybe Utah. Uh, a buddy of mine just went to Utah and killed a really nice bull on an over-the-counter tag. Uh, might do Colorado, maybe Montana, or possibly Wyoming again. We, we really don't know. Uh, got to decide elk or mule deer, and then we got to decide what state. That's awesome. Well, if you ever have any questions as far as that goes with elk hunting, feel free to ask. I'm, I'm not a good elk hunter by any means, but I've done it for the last four years and made every mistake in the book. So, uh, <laughs> feel free to, <laughs> feel free to pick my brain if you ever want to. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I'm definitely going to have to hit you up. Cause I, I got a feeling it's going to be elk cause, uh, my, my, one of my childhood best friends and, uh, Colton George, he's a guy I grew up hunting with. He, he just like, he got a new job and he's been moving around. He hadn't been able to hunt much. And he is like, man, he's so dead set on an elk trip. He's like, we're going elk hunting. Why aren't you going to the gym more? <laughs> I'm lazy and I'm not going to the gym. Dude, he's he's in the gym every day, and we're not even going for like a calendar year. And he's been, dude, he's been pumping it out. He's been getting ready. So I have a feeling we're going to be doing elk, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Oh man, if are you do you are you planning on hunting them during the rut or you know, rifle tag? Uh probably. Oh man, probably a rifle tag, just because I feel more comfortable with a rifle. Yeah, um, but I don't know. I'm not opposed to going for the bow either at all. Uh, it really depends on what the other guys are going want to do. I'm I'm pretty much good with whatever. I just want to get out to that location and, and just experience that landscape. Um, yeah, you know what I'm hunting and how I'm hunting is kind of a bonus, I guess. That's awesome. I uh, I I definitely think that you'll be hooked once you get to do it. No matter whether you have a bow or rifle, whatever in hand. I mean, the West is just an amazing place to, to get to see and, and get to experience it. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, man, when I first went out there, I, I just could not even comprehend it. You know, being from central Alabama, you know, I hadn't seen that much open space. I mean, the most open space I'd ever seen was like a, like a 400 acre pasture people had cattle in and then and then you get into nebraska and i was like what is this (laughs) can like see the earth round off it's so flat and open i love it man people complain about driving through that but i like the wide open space i just i love it for some reason yeah no that that's cool and and so i hunted uh idaho this year for elk i hunted colorado the first three years and then i went to idaho and where I hunted in Colorado was, it was really thick and it was still awesome as the mountains and everything, beautiful landscape. But in Idaho, where I got to kind of sit behind the, the binos and the spotting scope and where it was a little bit more open, that was so cool to me. Like just kind of watching, you know, the, the whole, the woods and everything just come alive, you know, in the mornings and the evenings, just watching, you know, critters just like you could watch the same area for four hours and all of a sudden a mule deer would get up from a spot. You're like, where did he come from? You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's so cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing was when we went to Wyoming, you know, we're hunting just, you know, kind of wide open. I mean, we're in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem to give people an idea of kind of like what it looked like out there. Uh, and so, you know, you got timber, but you also have a lot of open ground. So, you, you know, you're really, very much able to study how these deer are using topography and the landscape to their advantage. And uh, it was 
brought that right back to Alabama with us, man. I mean, seeing what the deer do out there, how they actually use like a saddle, because everyone's like, oh yeah, saddle's a good place to deer hunt, but you know, no one necessarily usually explains how the deer actually use a saddle or a bench or, or just anything like that. So being able to kind of, I don't know, pull back the curtains and like just literally see exactly what they're doing from a distance like you can out west, it really teaches you a lot. And then also, I mean, the glassing, that's another thing we brought back to Alabama where, you know, if you got gas lines or power lines or cutovers or any any kind of open area down in the south, I mean, you could totally sit and watch it and just see what's going on. I mean, the, the buck I shot last year is pretty much exactly how I ended up killing him. I sat on this big, long power line that goes through this big, deep drainage, and I can see a couple hundred yards down through there, and I was getting a pattern on where these deer were crossing that, and I moved in for the kill and finally killed him. Oh, that's awesome. And it, it is cool, though, that no matter where you go and what species you hunt, you can always take something back and, and learn from it. I mean, when I started backpack hunting out west, I started doing that in Pennsylvania, you know, just going in and just for fun, going packing into an area a couple miles, setting up camp and and doing that and, you know, learning to, to you know, quarter the deer up in the field and just different methods, like you said, the train features. And I really started to learn how to understand thermals even more. You know, I mean, I always hunted them and kind of knew what they were, but not until I elk hunted did I really, really understand them. And that, you know, plays so much into the hill country and, you know, steeper areas, you know, in the whitetail woods too. Oh, yeah, dude. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So... Andrew, I think uh, we're, you know, we're closing in on an hour here. I think we're going to, you know, end this podcast and everything, but I want to hear where we can find, you know, some information on, on you, some of the people can follow along with some of the stuff you're doing and the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Uh, Yeah. So you can find the Southern Outdoorsman podcast pretty much anywhere that quality podcasts can be found. I mean, iTunes iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. Um, actually, the buck I just shot just went up on our YouTube channel, and then we've got some other cool stuff. We got a whole host of stuff on there. From we got some like gear reviews. We got um, we got some uh, turkey hunts, some deer hunts. We've got a squirrel hunt with Kevin Murphy from Meat Eater. Uh, we went up there and stayed with Kevin for like three or four days and he showed us around the squirrel woods and that was a pretty good time we killed a whole bunch of squirrels with kevin that was a lot of fun i think that's actually our most viewed video uh squirrel hunt which is pretty cool because i love <laughs> squirrel hunting uh and yeah i mean find us on any social media platform podcast is you know always free um and then also if you just want to check out some of the articles i've written uh you can check them out at uh alabamaoutdoornews.com or georgiaoutdoornews.com i've written for both of them and you can go to that website and just search my name and pretty much everything I've wrote for them will pop right up. Uh, I've written on the rut, early season, squirrel hunting, turkey hunting, creek catfishing, uh, creek bass fishing, all kinds of stuff, man. Awesome. Well, cool, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on, especially, you know, a couple of days before your wedding here and, and talking with me. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, dude, I, I really appreciate you having me on. And I hope this, uh, I hope this excites some people for, for coming down to the South, man. We got, 
tremendous opportunity down here. Awesome. All right, Andrew, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.